This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Put some red curtains up or something. You want me to get Tony to help you? I think I can manage some curtains, I said. Good night. I slammed my big, heavy steel door shut. Space between reality and fantasy, between light and dark, between rational and irrational. In this space, there are stories. This story is called the bathtub. Insanity is a virtue. October 10th. I woke up very early. It must have been 4 a.m. or so. The sun hasn't risen yet. The air outside was fresh and the landscape gorgeous. I went to my living room window to look at the early morning sky on the horizon. Pale light as far as the eye can see. Invigorating. I inhaled deeply. Suddenly, I heard a loud thud. Is that somebody in the hallway? I stood, listening, my head slightly cocked to the side, frozen. Another sound, this time sounded wet, like someone splashing. This was definitely coming from my apartment. I left the window and moved further into the apartment. The doors were all closed, just like I left them, except for the bathroom door. I usually keep it closed, but right now it was open. Did I forget to close it? I tried to remember. Another thud. This time, it was closer to me, somewhere around me, but I couldn't see anything because it was still dark. I walked over to the table, which was near my sofa. I turned on the lamp. All I saw were wet tracks all over the floor. I looked around. They were coming from the bathroom. I followed them in. The wet tracks led under the bathtub. I got on my hands and knees to look underneath, but of course I could not see anything in that darkness. I should get a flashlight. Then I heard my upstairs neighbor walking around again, back and forth, back and forth. I guess I was not the only one awake that night. October 13th. I walked down the street towards Hank's Tools, the only hardware store in this town. People are getting used to me, some people even saying hi. There are not many people here, but they are all agreeable. Simple and easy to get along with. They keep bringing up my abode to me as if it is something soiled forsaken. I understand people's anxiety over an old asylum, but a building is a building. I continue to tell them I enjoy where I live. I walked into Hank's Tools. A tall man with a long beard gave me a nod. He already knew who I was, and I could only assume this was Hank. You need help? He said in his raspy voice. 
I am looking for a flashlight, I replied. All the way down and to the left. Batteries at the register. He went back to reading a paper. I retrieved a flashlight and went up to the register. That will be double A's, Hank announced and slapped a pack of batteries on the counter. I'll take them. The register clicked and the amount owed came up. I went to get the money. So you the guy living in the nuthouse, the man said to me. In the spot where Frankie boy lived, no less. Figured that one out. Packed my purchases in a paper bag. I wouldn't stay in that dump even if they paid me, Hank announced. I like it just fine, I said. Thank you. I turned to leave. Good day to you. Have a good one, I said as I exited the store. I wish everyone would stop talking to me about Frank. October 14th. Saturday. Cleaning day. I decided to take another look under that giant bathtub of mine. The incident that happened the other night was still on my mind, and it bothered me. It made no sense. I went into the bathroom and got on my knees. I put the batteries into my flashlight and turned it on. A bright beam of light came from within it, blinding me. Suddenly there was a knock at my door. Damn it. I left the flashlight on the floor, got up and went to open the door. It was Tony. She was wearing a red summer dress with no bra on. I could clearly see her nipples. Her hair was wild and curly, pulled up in a big mess on top of her head. She looked a bit better than the last time I saw her. Hello, I said awkwardly. Good morning, mister, she said, and put her arm at the entranceway. You busy? I was cleaning, I replied. What do you need? I was cleaning too, she smiled, and I could see small wrinkles gather in the corners of her mouth. Can I ask you a favor? What is it? She looked into my eyes. Was she trying to flirt with me? You know how to change a light bulb? She smiled seductively. Um, yeah, of course. I need a light bulb changed, and I can't reach it. Want to help? All right. I grabbed my key and went. My door shut and locked automatically, so I always needed my key with me. We went up the metal staircase upstairs. She led me to the first apartment on the right. Here we are, she said. Do you live here with Heath? I asked. Yeah, why? Do you know who lives in that other unit? I motioned to the apartment on the left. That was the unit that was right above mine. Someone up there keeps pacing back and forth, driving me crazy. Why, mister, nobody lives there, she exclaimed. I don't think that place is rented once. Why do you ask? Are you sure about that? I asked. It's Tony, right? Yeah, it's Tony. I guess you met Heath. That fool will keep coming round, you know. He is a useless dog. I know your name, too. It's Richard, yeah? Yes. You go by Dick? No, just Richard. Well, Rick, I guess. Yeah, you can call me Rick. Rick, can you look into changing that light bulb for me? Heath is useless, and I need light in the kitchen. 
How did they expect me to run the household with no light or nothing? How? There was no help anywhere in the building or from Marty, I gotta tell you. I entered the apartment. Tony followed me promptly, still speaking about the light. I saw Heath pass down on the couch, probably drunk. He was still wearing the brown suit I saw him wear earlier, just as soiled. You pay no attention to him, Tony said when she saw me looking at Heath. That man is good for nothing, nothing. I tell him you have to get a job. And he says, he says to me, mind your own business, you slut. Slut, can you imagine? Me, the divorcee. You have a spare light bulb? I asked, carefully trying to avoid getting involved in any family drama. Can you believe this man? He smells so bad he can't get a job. And what am I supposed to do? I should be supported. Tony lit a cigarette. I understand. Employment is tricky in this day and age, I said. You got a light bulb? Tony went to the other side of the room. The whole place was filthy. It was boxes stacked on top of one another, clutter and disaster. Tony rummaged through some boxes on the floor. She finally pulled out a tiny box that was labeled light bulbs. Yet, instead of an actual light bulb, she pulled out a carrot. Will you look at this mess? She glanced at me, holding a carrot and frowning. I told him we gotta get some bulbs. I can't see anything in this mess. I gotta take care of the household. Can you imagine trying to run this mess? As if it is not bad enough. Imagine that. And that pig, she motioned to Heath, still passed out. All he does is drink and lose employment. You know what? She came closer to me and spoke in a loud whisper. Marty put us on probation. Yeah, probation. They want us to pay rent, but me, I have no income. I was left all alone. She sat down on a filthy sofa, full of cigarette burns and dirt stains. Heath was blissfully passed out close to her. Tony was smoking nervously. I think I have a light bulb at my place, I said. Let me run down and get it. Would you, darling? Oh, you are so good. Tony flicked her cigarette ashes and they fell on the floor around her. I went out the door and headed downstairs, unlocked my apartment and went in. I headed for a cupboard where the supplies were kept and then I froze. In the middle of my living room floor, there was a giant puddle of water. In the middle of that puddle was my flashlight, its batteries out rolling in the water. The flashlight was smashed. The wet tracks led back underneath the bathtub. I stood in my bathroom, examining them in bewilderment. Then I heard it loud and clear, pacing right above me again, back and forth, back and forth. Rick, are you coming? Tony called from upstairs. She was at the edge of the stair railing. Just a minute, I said. I felt uneasy. I remembered my door was locked, had to be closed, which means it was locked. Nobody without a key would be able to access my apartment. My key was with me the whole time. Who was leaving these wet tracks? 
He got a cigarette, Rick. Tony was calling from upstairs. I am all out. I don't smoke, I said. I went back into the living room. Well, ain't that a shame, Tony said. I heard her go back into her apartment and slam the door after her. I sat on my couch, bewildered, staring at the puddle of water in front of me, the broken flashlight sitting in the middle of the puddle. Am I going insane? I asked myself out loud. The piecing upstairs stopped, and I heard a faint voice coming from the bathroom, a soft whisper. Insanity is a virtue, it said. October 17th. I haven't slept for several days. I keep hearing sounds, which I knew were probably not real, unless they were. The incident with the flashlight was driving me insane. I could not get it out of my mind. I retraced my steps, thought of all possible scenarios, and I stalled. I stalled because there was no explanation. I was so tired yesterday, and so exhausted with all the thinking that I contemplated not going into work. I just sat at the edge of my bed, and a shudder went through my body. Then I felt physically sick. I laid back down, closed my eyes. Then I heard even breathing coming out of the corner of my room. I would spring up looking all around me. The room was empty. I needed some sleep after all. I was clearly imagining things that were not there. I called in sick. There was a knock on my door again. I opened it and Heath walked in. He stopped at the entrance of the living room and looked at me. Suddenly his face changed. He looked surprised. Damn, you look bad, he said loudly. Aw oh, man, what have you been up to? He looked rugged as always, his brown suit still on. This time no tie. Maybe he lost it. Having a bit of trouble sleeping, I said. It really isn't a big deal. Yeah, well, it looks like it should be. You seen your face? He headed for my fridge and opened it. You got some drink, friend? His face turned toward mine, and in the dim light of the fridge, I could see the wrinkles burrowing into his tired old face. I went over to a cupboard and got a bottle of rum. That is all I have at the moment. I handed it to him. No matter, no matter, he said as he got out a glass. You want some? I shook my head. He poured himself a generous portion and sat on the armchair sinking into it with a heavy sigh. I gotta celebrate tonight. Yeah, I do. He took a loud sip. I got me some employment, yeah. That slut Tony is telling me I am good for nothing, well... He took another sip. She will be sorry when I tell her. Did you get a job, Heath? I sat down on the couch opposite him. 
I will be working at the grocery store. I told them all that I gotta be at least a manager. Yeah, at least. He coughed. The old hag wouldn't have any of that. He took another generous sip of his drink. But I tell her, I say, what does an honest man need to do to get employment around here? Help a fella out. So she gave me a little job. Not a big gig, no, but a means to an end. You're looking at a bag boy. He smiled proudly. Congratulations, I said absentmindedly. They thought they could kick us out of here like bums they did. His face got all red. Well, I have some fight in me still. He smacked his large, fat belly happily. Suddenly he seemed younger. I looked at my feet, trying to avoid making eye contact. You sick? He'd suck his neck out to take a closer look at me. Cause you look sick too. Me? No. No, not at all. I have a hard time sleeping. I looked out the window at a dark landscape. My stomach turned and I turned to Heath. Listen, you've lived here for some time, right? Yeah, I guess you could say that. He belched. A year or so? Why? Who lives in the unit above mine? I asked and looked at Heath, finally making eye contact. Heath stared at me for a few seconds, dubious. What do you mean, above yours? The unit that is next to yours upstairs. I motioned up to the ceiling. The one that is right above me, who lives there? Damn if I know, he exclaimed. I don't think anyone lives there. Why? Are you sure? Heath took a sip and paused. Well, if someone does, I don't know anything of that. I haven't seen or heard nothing either. He got quiet. Who lives there? He asked suddenly. Well, I don't know, actually, I said irritably. That is why I figured I'd ask you, Heath. Oh, yeah. He scratched his greasy hair. Maybe Marty will tell you. I guess I will have to wait for Marty to find out. I went over to the kitchen counter and grabbed a glass, poured myself some rum and threw several ice cubes in. Heat sand extended with an empty glass. Top me off, will ya? No ice. I grabbed his glass and poured more rum in it, then handed it to him and sat down on the couch. I sighed heavily, looking into my glass studying ice cubes drowning in the brown, thick liquid. You know why you were so depressed? He looked over at me. Because your place looks like a damn hospital, that's why. He motioned around the room with his dirty hand. Just look at this. White walls, no decorations. I blow my damn brains out. He took a large sip, and I could see perspiration forming on his neck and forehead. I am not here for long, I said. It's a short job for me. Five months, tops. Yeah, well, if you say so. On the next episode of The Bathtub. Driving back home on an empty road, windows down. I should feel dread going back home. Yet I feel... Exhilarated. Addicted. My mind was on the mystery of the tracks on the floor, the pacing. 
It was a mystery that I needed to solve, a test of my character. I thought of the darkness under that bathtub, but it instead led me to the darkness in my own mind. Thank you for listening to The Bathtub. A crawlspace media production of a Pi Rational Story. Narrated by Neil Hilligers. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.